Good evening. Greet everyone in the name of Christ on this beautiful spring evening. Thank you for that uh, children's meeting. God is everywhere. We can't see God directly, but he's here. How many of you have felt God or feel God in your life? And we can't always go by feelings in our lives, but yet we can, we can feel what God does. Like his illustration, I really appreciated that. Thank you for that. Before I get into the message, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your house this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the, the many messages that you have in it for us. Pray, Father, that you'd be near to us this evening. Help us to be open to what you have, have in store for us. Pray, Lord, you'd give me wisdom as I share your word. Pray this all in your name. Amen. The title of my message this evening is Finding Purpose Through Pain, or Finding Purpose in Spite of Pain. How many of you have experienced pain in your life? Physical, emotional, some type of pain. Down to the smallest child here, we've all experienced pain. In 1981, Joe was on a job site. He was a bulldozer operator. His bulldozer had some issues. It wouldn't start with the key. So when he'd park it, he'd leave the loader up so he could reach down inside with a screwdriver and jump the starter. One day he was on the job, left the bucket up, forgot to take it out of gear. He went to start the bulldozer, reached in with the screwdriver, and just as he touched the starter, a four-year-old ran in front of the bulldozer. Was killed instantly. Joe questioned why. Didn't know the Lord. The boy's family didn't know the Lord. Why? Why is there pain in life? Why is there death in life? Why does a four-year-old die? Why is there sickness? Some of you here would know Bryce Iston, 24 years old, just diagnosed with cancer recently. Why? Marlita Histon died a few years ago from cancer, be his older sister. Gianna Hurst was 16. These are experiences we've had at our church, and I'm sure you could share some here. Why do we have that? Why are people abused in this world? As humans, we ask a lot of questions, especially when it comes to pain. What is pain? As I mentioned, there's many different forms it can take. Webster says, physically, it's a localized or generalized unpleasant bodily sensation or complexes of sensations that cause mild to severe physical discomfort. I think we could relate to that step on a nail. It goes all the way through the shoe, hits your foot. You're going to pick that up pretty quick. typically leads to evasive action is the end of the definition there. Feel your hand getting pinched, you're gonna try and pull it back. Hit your head walking in a low doorway, you hit your head and automatically you duck. Well the next def definition in Webster's is mental or emotional distress or suffering, grief. That's the pain that we have when Someone close to us passes away or 
was diagnosed with cancer, something like that. So physical pain and emotional pain, they affect each person differently. Some people, don't, pain doesn't seem to bother them. Their senses don't seem to work as well. Some people don't have the sense of pain physically. It can result in a lot of bodily harm. Uh, smash their thumb with a hammer. They don't feel it. They keep working and it's split open. It gets infected. Whatever. So as we think of pain, though, we think of life. Will there ever be an end to pain? That's the thing we would all like to see. Is there any benefit in pain? I talked about it physically a little bit, the benefits of pain, but is there benefit to emotional pain that we face? Can there be any purpose in it? Is it just something we have to bear that just comes along? Do we have nothing good in it? So I'm going to start with my first question. I started with, why is there pain in life? Why do we have pain? Simple answer is the fall of man, the rebellion against God. And the continued sinfulness of man. Let's turn to Genesis 3. Set the foundation there at the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2, when God finished creation, he said it was good. And if God says something's good, I think we could say it was perfect. Is pain part of perfectness? How many of you would call pain part of perfectness? I see people shaking their head. No. Then Adam and Eve felt a temptation. If they hadn't done it, the next generation would. Our generation would. We had a free choice. They turned against God. They disobeyed him. Genesis 3, verses 16 through 19, lays out what happened to us as humans, to Adam and Eve, to all of us as descendants of Adam and Eve because of their sin. Verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of, of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Because of their sin, they received a curse from God that passed down from generation to generation. We still have it today. Sorrow, pain. Hard work. I believe their work that God gave them in the garden was general, easy work. Something to keep them busy. They weren't going to get blisters from tending the garden. Till this, thorns and thistles shall the ground bring forth. Got to deal with this. We still deal with thorns, thistles, weeds today. 
and as humanity comes up with new technologies, at times it seems like we've got ways to take care of the weeds and stuff now. Ha, we beat God's curse. But then now we see lawsuits because these chemicals that they use to kill weeds is coming around and causing cancer. I don't know, you hear all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to go down that road, but God's curse is still in effect. We have to work hard. We have to deal with it. In the New Testament, Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That lays it out. Adam and Eve were the ones that fell. By Adam, sin came into the world, but all have sinned. Pain, sorrow, death, it's still part of our world today. And the reality is, as long as this world physically stands, it's going to be here. And the sad part is, it's going to be through eternity. I want to look at that then. For those who do not accept Christ, that sorrow, that pain, loneliness is still going to go through eternity. But we're not without hope. Continuing on in Romans 5, there are verses 18 through 21. Romans 5, verses 18 through 21. <clears throat> Therefore, as by the offense of one, that's Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, that's Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's the hope we have to escape the pain through Jesus Christ. He was righteous. He suffered pain for us to have that freedom, for us to have that hope of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 26. It's the same thought again. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order... Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Talked about grief. The greatest grief is death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So we are not without hope. But we will never be totally free of pain until we reach that eternal glory. If we accept that free gift of salvation, we have that hope. But the glory we have coming, turn to Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Revelation chapter 21. This describes what that eternal life is going to be like. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. 
And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelievers and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So we see there what that eternal life is going to look, at, look like. No death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. So we see it will go away. We ask, when will it end? Verse 7 says, those who overcome will inherit these things. It doesn't say all men. It says those who overcome. Verse 8 lists those who won't see that. They will end up in hell. They will still have pain, burning, totally separated from everyone, sorrow. Chapter 20, verse 15, the last verse of the chapter just before says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written there? And Jesus himself, when he was on earth, said that whoever did not believe would be condemned. In John 3, verses 17 and 18, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the, that the world through him might be saved. His desire is to bring everyone to him. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. He gives us a choice. Do we believe in him? He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So praise the Lord for that hope we have. We have that hope to be free of pain, sorrow, tears, but back to current life. We're not there yet. Some of us may be closer than others. Only God knows. But what about the pain that we have in this current life? Can there be any purpose in it? I believe just like the physical pain, that there can be purpose in pain that we face in life. As with physical pain, it lets us know something's wrong. But sometimes we have pain and emotionally, spiritually, we're like, why? Where does it come from? We have no explanation. We're going to look at that. There's three points I want to look at this evening in regards to possibilities. I don't believe this is exhaustive, but possibilities of purposes of pain. One, to alert us of or chasten us for sin. Two, to test us and help us grow closer to God. 
three, for the preservation of others, and that's the one I'll probably spend the most time on. That's the toughest one, I believe. Because that's the one we may not ever see the answer for the reason we go through the pain we do. As we go through this, does it mean that God is the one who directly gives us pain? No, don't forget that. God is not the one, except for possibly in the, uh, in the case of chastening us for sin. God is not the one that gives us pain. Remember, it's because of fallen humanity we have pain. But God can and does use the pain in our lives. If we allow him to, he can and does use it for his honor and his glory. So I want to look at three biblical uh, characters to illustrate those three points. First one, to alert us of or chasten us for sin. Turn to 2 Samuel for that. In 2 Samuel 11, we have the account of David's sin, his adultery he committed with Bathsheba, and then the murder of her husband. I'm going to jump in at 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David to confront him about this sin. David had hidden it, or so he thought. We cannot hide anything from the Lord. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 10 through 14, David received his sentence. And this is a case that David received pain in his life. Again, God sent it, but it was because of his sin, because of his turning against God and his laws. 2 Samuel 12, verses 10 through 14, Nathan lays out his sentence. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So we see there in verse 13, David repented. As, as Nathan's given him the sentence, David repents. I see what I have done. I repent. I have sinned against the Lord. David should have died. According to the law, David should have been taken out and stoned for what he did. But the Lord accepted his repentance. The grace of the Lord is evident here in David's life. And David himself had said, when, when Nathan told the story, he said, the man that did this should die. He pronounced sentence on himself. He received God's mercy, received forgiveness. He did not die right then and there, but he still had a reaping there was still pain. 
First in verse 10, he was never going to experience true peace in his kingdom. There was always going to be fighting. And if you go through the rest of 2 Samuel and up to David's death, he was always at war with someone, whether it was from enemies without or rebellion within his own family. If you look at 2 Samuel 15 through 18, you see the rebellion of Absalom. Again, rejection by family. And the last verse there that I read, verse 14, said that the child that was born was going to die. The pain of death. The grief of death. So take it as a warning. David sowed, he reaped. Sin leads to pain. Physical emotional, spiritual. Sin always leads to pain. If you look at Psalm 51, David even talks about the internal pain that he had, and I believe it was in the time between when he committed it till Nathan came to him and he repented. Talks about his bones roaring, no peace within. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Familiar words. But don't forget them. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. So whichever side we sow on, there's a reaping. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So David reaped because of his sin. We will likewise, but we can also reap if we're serving the Lord. David repented. He accepted the chastening of the Lord. And the same for us. If we accept the Lord's chastening, we can grow from it. Turn to Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. There's a few points here I want to bring out on chastening. Thinking of pain caused by sin. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure." But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So chastening is a form of pain. A few things I want you to notice there. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So if there's pain in your life because of sin... God trying to draw you back to himself. He loves you. His desires to bring you back. Verse 8 is a bit sobering. 
If you can sin and do not receive chastisement, it says, then are ye bastards and not sons. You're not a child of God. If you do not, do not receive chastisement for sin. So think about that. If you can do something that you know is wrong and it doesn't bother you, and don't think, oh, well, it's not wrong. It means you're not a son. In verse 11, chastisement is not fun, but when we allow the Lord to do his work in us, we will grow more like him. Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The second point, test us and help us grow closer to God. Turn to Job for just a little bit. We just had this recently in Sunday school. Won't spend a lot of time on this one. Familiar story. I want to just read the first couple verses there of Job 1. Uh, Go through verse 5. Job 1, 1 through 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So that's our introduction to Job. We know how the story goes, the suffering he went through, the loss he went through, physical loss of all his property. Sure, that'd be tough. Then the loss of his seven children. How many of you are seeing pain in this man's life? Then the loss of his health. But according to the introduction here, was there a reason for Job to go through this pain? Was there sin in Job's life? And that man was perfect and upright. He followed the Lord. He served the Lord 100%. He was human. He probably had his shortcomings. But it wasn't because of sin that Job received these tough times that he received this pain. He was not in need of chastening. He strictly received this pain because he was upright. And Satan said, let me at Job. Let me test Job. And he'll curse you, God. He'll follow me. He'll, he'll fall for it. Job didn't. I believe through that experience, Job drew closer to God than what he was at the beginning. If you turn to Job 42, verses 1 through 6, the closing chapter here of Job. Job 42, 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. 
Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. I want to notice specifically there, verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. I believe the first part of that verse was Job's testimony in Job 1. He knew who the Lord was. He served the Lord. We've all been there. When we first accept Christ, we know who he is. We know we need him. But I believe the second part of that verse, but now mine eye seeth thee. He experienced God through this whole trial that he went through in a way that he never would have without that. He grew closer to God. He knew who God was, but now God was here. He saw God. He felt him. He did not become bitter, but he allowed that experience to draw him closer. So remember that. When you're going through pain, maybe God allowing the devil at you because you are upright. Stay true to God through it, and you will grow for it. The third point, for the preservation of others. Another familiar Bible character, Genesis 37, 39 through 50. I'm not going to read all that. But many of you will probably recognize that correlates with Joseph. Joseph was human. Probably wasn't perfect, as all humans are not. But as we think about his life, was there any reason for him to face the pain, the rejection, the abuse that he went through? Again, we don't have the introduction that Job was perfect and upright. But it doesn't say that Job sinned and received it. Genesis 37, verses 23 through 38. We see there Joseph going to his brothers and what they did to him. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brother and that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. How many of you think that was a gentle lowering of Joseph into that pit? They just gently took the coat off. Okay, we're going to stick you in this hole here. Yanked it off, pushed him in, head first, who knows? I believe there was physical abuse involved, pain. And then what happened, verse 25, And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. So they throw him in the hole, they sit down for lunch, these traders come by, hey, let's sell him. 
When they came to get him out, he's like, oh, good, maybe they're going to let me go, only to realize they're selling him to send him away to a foreign land. Rejection and abuse by his own family. The people he should have been able to trust the most. I haven't experienced that, but i got to think that's one of the toughest kinds of pain to face besides death itself. Rejection and abuse by one's own family. And they did it strictly because of envy. They were jealous of what he had. His father had a favorite. His father was human too. But they did it strictly because of jealousy for that. Joseph's with the traders. Verse 36, they arrive in Egypt. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Joseph had grown up a free man. He served his father. He worked for his father, but he was free. Now he was sold again to be a slave. In this position, the Lord blessed him. He stayed true to the Lord. He served the Lord and God used him. He became a leader in Potiphar's household. Genesis 39, verses 5 through 6. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer, made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. The Lord blessed Potiphar for Joseph's sake. But I'm sure that the pain of rejection did not go away. Just because Joseph was a leader, things were going well. He had a good life. Doesn't seem that he was mistreated here. The pain of rejection and abuse, I'm so sure there, was still real. But then along comes Potiphar's wife. Tempts him, tries to get him to sin with her. Joseph refuses. He stays true to the Lord. What happens? Because he stayed true to the Lord. Verses 17 through 20 of chapter 39. And she spake unto him according to these words, as unto Potiphar her husband, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. Totally turned the story around. She was the one enticing him. She tells her husband the totally opposite story. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. Threw him into prison. He was lied about. Again, by someone he should have been able to trust. Someone who should have trusted him. Maybe the pain of his rejections by his family was beginning to dull. 
all brought back to the surface in an instant. But again, what happened? God again blessed him in prison. Genesis 39, verses 21 through 23, continue there where I just left off. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So again, a, a position of authority. Anything that changed in the prison, Joseph was in charge of it. Possibly even had the keys, at least internal keys to cells. And through that position, he was able to speak into the lives of those around him. We know the story. The two men had the dreams. They asked Joseph if he could help them with it. For one, it was a bad news. But for the other one, it was good news. You're going to get out of here. In three days, you're going to be free. You're going to go back to Pharaoh. And in Genesis 40, verses 14 and 15, Joseph told him, you're going to be free, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that should have put me into the dungeon. He says, remember me. You're going to be free. Remember me. Help me get free. But what happens? Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgotten. Rejected, abused, lied about, now forgotten. For two whole years. And it came to pass at the end of two full years. That's how Genesis 41 starts. Then all of a sudden, the butler remembered. You think in that two years, Joseph went, Where'd he go? Why'd he forget about me? I gave him such good news. More pain. But at the end of the two years, Pharaoh had the dreams. Nobody could interpret them. And the butler goes, I forgot. I forgot Joseph. And he helped Joseph get out of prison, told Pharaoh about him. And the Lord again blessed Joseph. As we know this, how the story goes, he became chief ruler, second in command of Pharaoh. And as we saw with Potiphar, with the prison, here again, whatever happened in the kingdom, Joseph was the one in charge of it. But as we went through there, we saw basically six ways that Joseph received pain. He was abused, rejected, lied about, forgotten. How many people would have become bitter through Joseph's experience? It was a, God, why? I give up. 
What if Joseph had become bitter? What if he would have turned his back on job on God? What if he become bitter after his brothers did what they did to him? What if he become Potiphar's head slave? Probably not. He would have been the one taking care of the the lowliest job, cleaning the bathrooms, whatever it was. If he hadn't been Potiphar's head slave, he probably wouldn't have had to deal with his wife. But still, he wouldn't have been true to God. But what if he had told Potiphar's wife no if he had become bitter? In bitterness, it's hard to, re- to overcome other temptations. When he ended up in prison, what if he become the trusted prison keeper? What if he been able to speak into the lives of the other prisoners that he related to? Would he have become second in command in the Egyptian kingdom? It's a lot of what ifs. At any point in that story, if Joseph had become bitter, I believe the story would have ended there. And we wouldn't have the example of Joseph that we do. But he did not become bitter. He allowed the Lord to continue to work in and through him. There's no purpose for his pain anywhere in this story up till now. There's no purpose for this pain. But still, the situations that he goes through, he allows God to continue to work in him, brings God glory. Finally, the famine comes to the land. His brothers come to him. And Joseph, he all of a sudden gets to see the reason for the pain that he went through. In Genesis 45, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. How many of us going through the things Joseph did could have said what Joseph did here? Genesis 45, 5 through 11, talking to Joseph or to his brothers. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve your posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and all thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household, and all that thou hast, come to poverty. First thing Joseph says is, forgive yourselves. If Joseph can say that to them, I believe Joseph had forgiven them. Joseph being second command, everyone that came to buy food had to come to Joseph. He could have taken revenge on them and they would have never known who did it. 
But Joseph says, no, forgive yourselves. God had a plan in this. God sent me here so that I could preserve you, that I could preserve Pharaoh, the Egyptians, everyone. God had a plan. Joseph got to see it. Sometimes God may have us go through, through pain to help preserve someone else. We may see it, we may not. But if we can't become bitter through that pain, that preservation may not happen. And again in Genesis 50, after their father died, Joseph's brothers became worried, well, maybe Joseph just forgave us on the surface for our father's sake. And they came to him and, and, and uh, said, we're your servants. Do to us whatever you need to. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy, fa <clears throat> Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So again, down the road, some years later, he again says, Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it to good. He didn't excuse their actions, but he didn't dwell on them and become bitter. He forgave them and saw God's plan. He accepted it as from the Lord. Paul in Philippians, he was in prison in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. He's writing this from prison. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren of the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here Paul was in prison. He was going through suffering, through pain, because of his Christian faith, because of his um, sharing the, the, the word of the Lord. But he recognized that all the tough times, all the pain he had gone through was not for himself, or against him, but it was for the furthering of the gospel. And in the recognition of that, not becoming bitter, others saw his example and became bold. Paul was one man. He traveled a lot. He touched a lot of lives. But when he was in prison, it says, Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The way we respond to the pain in our lives affects those around us. How do we respond? Do we become bitter? 
do we allow it to touch others' lives? We may not see that preservation. But back to Joe at the beginning. He began searching. Why this pain? The parents of that little boy, especially the mother, wanted him at the funeral. He didn't want to go. But when he was sitting in that funeral, he cried out to God and said, If you're real, make yourself known to me. And he said a peace came over him that he can't explain, except for the Spirit of the Lord made himself real. Through that experience, he began searching, began studying the Word, reached out to some friends that he had when he was younger, and found the Lord. He recognized that pain drew him to the Lord. The father of that boy made it known to the general public that if he caught Joe in public, Joe was a dead man. Joe's life for his son. About six months or so after the accident, Joe was at a Bible study. And into the Bible study walks this boy's parents. And he's a little freaked out. I mean, this guy had said he's going to kill him when he finds him. And so he's looking for a way out. As soon as the Bible study's over, he tries to get to the door. That boy's father caught him. Joe's a little scared. The father says, Joe, will you forgive me? Joe says, forgive me. No, you need to forgive. No, it was an accident. But I threatened your life. I'm the one that needs forgiveness. That boy's parents had found the Lord too through this pain, the pain that they went through. It was for their preservation. Joe's life was a rocky road from there didn't stay close to the Lord, but praise the Lord, he's close to the Lord now. He tends our church. He's growing. He's asked for membership. It's been a long journey since 1981 to now. But because of the pain that he went through that day, it was for his preservation, for the preservation of that boy's parents. We may not get to see that as Joe and that boy's parents have. But the pain you go through may be for someone else's preservation. And if you have pain in your life, I don't want to minimize it, but I want to encourage you to look up. Look up to God. We may not understand it all, but He's in control. He has a plan. He's allowing it for some reason. Pain's a result of fallen humanity. God's desire is to redeem it. And God can redeem even the worst pain that we can imagine. And the promise of future eternal life is real. Second, look up to see others. Don't get stuck on yourself. You're not the only one with pain. There are, others, there are others around you that are in pain. If you know the Lord, you have that future hope. Others that you meet that are in pain may not have it. Try to encourage and point others to Christ. 
to that promise of eternal life. If you've been through pain, you can empathize with those who are going through pain. Those of us who have not faced pain can't do that with the same pain. Joseph allowed God to work in his life. He did not become bitter. He was able to save his family, a whole nation. What we go through may not reach that far, but if it reaches one person for the Lord, God is glorified. The way we respond in and to pain can have a profound effect on our witness to others of God. I'd like to close with Psalm 146. psalm of encouragement, a psalm talking about trust. Where our trust is will affect the way that we can make it through pain, that we can deal with pain. Psalm 146. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Puts not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the ways of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. Where is your trust? Where will you find true help when you're in pain? Verses 3 and 4 lay out that if we put our trust in men, they're going to let us down. They're going to fail us. Verse 5, happy or blessed is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help doesn't say no pain, but it says help. Whose hope is in the Lord his God. Verses 6 through 10 just give us a whole list of reasons why we can trust the Lord. He executeth judgment for the oppressed. He looseth the prisoners. People bound in bitterness. People bound in Bad responses to pain. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. Picture someone under extreme pain, bowed under the weight of it. The Lord raiseth them. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. See the pain of death there. The Lord relieves those. Verse 10, the Lord reigneth forever. Never ends. 
we can always trust the Lord to be there for us and with us. God bless you. Seek him, trust him. Pray that you can find peace and strength through him through the journey. Thank you, Brother Dale.